All right, take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah, chapter 1. Do you suppose that's one of Jonah's favorite hymns to sing? <laughs> that was kind of my point. I did wonder, you know, what's the, how's the Lord going to use that? Lord, send me anywhere. You know, I also thought as I came into chapel yesterday, uh, knowing that I was going to speak the next day, I wondered... Would there be any connection between the message spoken yesterday and the one we have today? And, uh, and I, when Brother Ermler started, I thought, well, no, not really. And then I, as I thought about it more, this is perhaps one of the greatest stories of church planting. Kind of. <laughs> Maybe the wrong dispensation, but, uh, but still. All right, Jonah. How many messages have you ever heard about Jonah. You know, the challenging thing sometimes is to take a familiar passage then and, and really bring out um, things we haven't thought of before. And I know that's what's happened to me. I've, I've myself preached this several times, but, uh, but not this. The Lord really has been working in my heart over weeks just uh, meditating on, on Jonah. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at today. <laughs> All right. When things work, just don't close the lid, guys. <laughs> we learned that yesterday. That was a tremendous message, by the way. Amen? Amen. Uh, I know that our student body was stirred with that, and we need to be. All right, Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we've got some things to look at today that are, are going to be interesting and helpful, I think. So let's begin here in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For the wicked, their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee. Flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, it is a familiar story. We've heard this since we were very young. And uh, yet your word is alive and there's truths that, that if we would just but dig deeper, we would find more treasures. And I pray there would be treasures here for all of us encouragement from your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you believe that you could, and be honest about this, if we had a map here, you could come up here and put your finger on Nineveh? Uh, it's okay. If you can't, it's okay. But how many of you could do that with confidence? Okay. That's going to be on the history of Civ maps from now on then. <laughs> I'm going to have to put that on there. Anybody know what the modern city is that is on the site of ancient Nineveh? It's Mosul. 1.6 million people. And the ancient site of Nineveh is right smack dab in the center of the city. I'm going to show that to you. But uh, let's work our way through this. We're going to lay a little groundwork and then we're going to learn some things that I think we can apply to our own lives here. Why wouldn't Jonah go to Nineveh? Why wouldn't Jonah go to Nineveh? Now, you may, I just want you to think about that. 
Is Jonah going to Nineveh? Ask Jonah. Jonah, are you going to Nineveh? What would he say? Ask him. Someday you will be able to. Jonah, why did you want to go to Nineveh? But whatever. You ask him right now. Jonah, are you going to Nineveh? God told you to. The word of God came. Hello? He opened the door. and What was standing there? The word of God. I don't know. It said it came. The word of God came. Right? And, and he heard the word of God. And the word of God was simply, it was this, exactly. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. A 500-mile trip, if he went the direct route. For their wickedness has come up before me. Go to Nineveh. Go. Jonah, go. Is he still singing like the last verse of Lord, send me anywhere? Ask him now. Ask him. Are you going to Nineveh? What would he say? I'm not going to Nineveh. Now, he might, he might, if you asked him before, Jonah, would you go anywhere God tells you to go? I mean, would you go do anything God tells you to do? What would he say? You know, according to 2 Kings, he was a, he was a notable prophet. According to the word of Jonah, it says there. This is what happened. According to the word of Jonah. He was not unaccustomed to having the word of God come to him and to use that word to minister to others. He had a notable ministry. Oh, yeah, I'd go do I'd, oh, Yeah. Nineveh. Jonah, are you going to Nineveh? What are the chances now that Jonah, just asking him that he would go to Nineveh? I'm not going. You say, Jonah, come on, really? Think about it. Pray about it. Jonah's going to look in your eyes, and he's going to say, I'm not going to Nineveh. Oh, Jonah, listen to me. I am not going to Nineveh. Why? You know, the word of God tells us, is he afraid? Let's go to Nineveh. You wouldn't know what he was up against if you didn't like, know a little bit about, about Nineveh. All right, so here we go. I'm going to show a few quick slides because we've got to keep moving. So this is, uh, you know, you got Ur down here, so you got Abraham. Down here is Kuwait. This is Iraq. Over here is Iran. And up the Tigris this time, Nineveh. On the Tigris River. Northern Iraq. Today, it's Sunni up there. Not sunny. Sunni. Right? The majority of Iraq is Shia. But Mosul is Sunni. So here is where Jonah is from, right in the northern part of Israel. Gath-hefer is on the same hill top as Nazareth, but they're not contemporary. Nazareth is on the south side, and that's a more modern village of Jesus' birth, of Jesus' life, rather, but uh, Jonah lived in Galilee, in the land of Zebulun. And he's told to go there. 
That is where it is. So a direct route would be 500 miles. You probably wouldn't take a direct route. It wouldn't be very fun. But uh, that is where it is, northern Iraq. Is he not going because it's a long trip? I don't have the money. They're mean people. Are they mean people? Okay, you've heard that. So we'll go a little further. But instead of going that 500 miles, he decides he's going to go there. (laughs) Which is where we think Tarshish is. Now I have to say that because we're not exactly sure, but it's the common belief is Tarshish is southern Spain, maybe just outside the Gibraltar Straits. And um, so is he not going because it's a long trip? Okay, so we've settled that one already. I've got other plans. Joppa to Tarshish. In 1853, Sir Austin Henry Laird from Britain did some excavating. In about 1820, Nineveh was found. It was discovered. For 2,000 years, nobody knew anything of Nineveh, really, except what was said in the Bible. So scoffers believed that that was proof that the Bible was false. We've never found Nineveh. By the time of Jesus, Nineveh was already lost, buried. Nobody knew anything about Nineveh by Jesus' day. The 2,000 years, it was just uh, rolling mounds of what looked like dirt. And uh, this man came along and did a lot of excavating. Still, excavations are still being done. And uh, discovered it and knew about it. And palaces. At one time, Nineveh was the largest city in the world, it is believed now. The largest city in the world. Probably Tokyo today at uh, 37 million in the metropolitan area. But one day, somewhere near Jonah's day, It was the largest city in the world. So Jonah wasn't being asked a small thing. If God said to you, go to New York City and cry against it, you alone. Okay, well, that's kind of relative to his terms. That's what it is. So Mr. Layard, who was an artist as well, did excavating and then sat down over the ruins and drew this which later then was painted. And these are some of the things that were found. You can see here the captives and how they're bound by the soldiers of the Assyrian Empire, of which Nineveh is the capital. And you can see in their hands the heads of some of those that they have conquered. And that is literally true. They would bring those heads, it is said, outside the gates of their city and make big piles of them to intimidate anybody who would visit their city. Would that be intimidating? Do you know that nobody went into that city and broke the speed limit? I mean, they told their mules to slow down. (laughs) After you walk past a pile of heads, you are going to obey the parking regulations of that city. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jonah. Go to Nineveh and cry against it. 
It was um, in their, by their own historical facts that this man here killing a lion with his bare hands. I don't know. Could a guy do that? I don't know. But that's how they ferocious they were. And this man has on his Apple iWatch here. And <laughs> so they were technological as well. You millennials think you've got it all. Um, hang on just a second. This image was discovered just a year and a half ago. And it dates to the time of Jonah. So Jonah well may have walked right past that. He saw these images. And a gate that's been restored. You can see American soldiers going in there, United States soldiers. It would have been through a gate like this probably that Jonah had to walk alone. Walking into New York City to cry against it when he would finally get there. This is the city, the outline of it, we now know, and the Tigris River flowing next to it. And this is a satellite image today of the center of Mosul. And you can see that same image right here that is the ancient city, the inner city walls. The suburbs, however, would be outside the city walls, and that would be even more significant. So this isn't all of Nineveh. It's just the inner city where the palace would be. They had the largest library in the world with some 30,000 digital media forms there. Clay tablets. <laughs> and uh, so you can see that. You can see the image there with the river flowing through it. That is what the city would look like. And this artist's rendition of, at the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah standing outside the city, overlooking it, to see what would become of it. All right, now why? Why didn't Jonah want to go? He doesn't just not want to go. He's not going. He is not going. You know, and I guess when I was a kid, you see the flannel graphs, and you just assume, well, it's because they're wicked and they're bad, and he doesn't like it, and he's afraid, and he's not going. You know, there's one thing that Jonah lacks in his life that Nineveh needs. Nineveh needs it. The problem is he doesn't have it himself to give to them. It says here that he's going to, he's going to flee from the presence of the Lord. It says it twice in verse 3, and if you go to chapter 4, the nice thing about this story is since you, you know the basis of the story, we don't have to go verse by verse, but if you go to chapter 4, which is after the revival... It says in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Angry at what? That the city was responding to the gospel. They were getting revived. Verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, he says, this is why I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. And merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid that his ministry would have no effect? <laughs> Does he have faith to believe that God can work, yes or no? Yeah, 100%. He's not going to Nineveh because he knows God will work. Okay, this is weird. 
Somehow that didn't come out in the flannel presentation. All we looked at was a big fish with big lips and Jonah inside. Am I kidding? I mean, that is what it was. It's probably fine, but it wasn't the whole story. We need to know the whole story. Jonah believes God can work. Is he like Moses? Like, I don't think I can speak well. My ministry will have no effect and Pharaoh won't listen to me. Is that Jonah? No, they will listen. God, you will forgive. Then why won't Jonah go? He does not want them to be forgiven. Is that a good testimony for a fundamental Baptist preacher? That's terrible. It's in the Bible. Jonah said it himself. That's why I didn't want to. I'm not coming. I'm not coming here. I'm not going because you will work. You will forgive people I hate. There probably have been incursions by the Assyrians into northern Israel. It's where he's from. He probably has heard of the atrocities, the people taken captive from Israel. Right. I thought how ironic it is that right now we're in the middle of an Israeli war. And, and what is it about? October 7, over 3,000 uh, Hamas terrorists crossed the border into Israel. That this time in the south, though. How does Israel feel about Hamas right now? It has, it has coalesced Israel into a patriotic country that it honestly wasn't was before. It was divided 50-50, liberal and conservatives. And, uh, and some of them were all for Hamas, not anymore. 253 captives taken. And it didn't make sense. Most of them were civilians, older ladies, children. The carnage, I wouldn't even look at it. It's ugly. 253, we think. 132 still missing. And Jonah, go into Gaza and cry against them. Are you kidding me? The only thing that's different between that day and this day, of course, the Syrian Empire is a little bigger than Hamas. And Jonah didn't have an IDF, an Iron Dome and Merkava tanks. And God says, you go cry against it. You alone. You, you know, you'd think that God saying, listen, I'm calling you to cry against them. Judgment. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message. You'd think Jonah would go, oh, goody, I'll go up there and I'll cry against him. No, he says, I'm not going. Why? Because they'll listen. It's more than 600 years before this, Moses was called to go and cry against Pharaoh. Ten plagues later, he barely got the children of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, he did. They, they did. They came out. But Pharaoh's coming right after him. Was Pharaoh repentant? Moses didn't want to go either. But think of it. Very similar. Egypt was the most powerful country in the world at that time. Pharaoh being the most powerful man. 
And now you turn the tables, you've got to hear 600 years later, Jonah is told to go cry against the most powerful empire. And revival breaks out. Wouldn't that have been good in Moses' day if Egypt had just broken into revival? Pharaoh says, wow, I've sinned. Fasting and sackcloth. People and animals. Didn't happen in Moses' day. Look at Jonah. And Jonah says, I'm not going. I will die first. I will not go. Whatever he is lacking in, our, in his life, if we are lacking that thing, we are no better than Jonah. And it looks pretty ugly. Like, is there anything in the book of Jonah that makes Jonah look good? Not a thing. All right. Can you flee from the presence of the Lord? Can you? That's what he's doing. Can you? David wrote, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Where? But, take your hymnals real quick. Take your hymnals, grab them, blue hymnals. And uh, turn to 277. Now, I know everybody doesn't have one, so look on with somebody next to you, but let's get all these blue hymnals out and go to 277. I'm going to go over some of the hymns that Jonah might have sung or at least hummed on his way to Joppa, like, Lord, send me anywhere. 277 here. How about this? O thou in whose presence my soul takes delight, on whom in affliction I call. My comfort by day and my song in the night, my hope, my salvation, my all. Did Jonah sing that on the way to Joppa? Did he? I'm, I'm being serious. Is that his song? O thou in whose presence my soul takes delight. Flip a few pages here and go to 291. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Is that his hymn? 306. Look at 306. We don't have time to sing them. That'd be a great, a great time. 306. Give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to save the lost. Oh, that thy love were by all adored and welcomed at any cost. Is Jonah singing that about Nineveh? Give me a passion for souls. 321. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Is he singing that? 325. More like the master I would ever be. More of his meekness, more humility. Do you know if we lack that one quality that Jonah lacks, that Nineveh needs, we sing these hymns, you sing them without even thinking about them. But are we really singing like in the presence of the Lord? Now you rightly said that can we flee from the presence of the Lord? No, David said it, you can but there is an abiding in his presence that is not happening. That needs to be two ways. Not just God following us around, 
omnipresent, what about us? 331. Is your life a channel of blessing? Is the love of God flowing through you? 337. Did Jonah sing, teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way. Thy guiding grace afford, teach me thy way. Help me to walk aright, more by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light, teach me thy way. 368. In a moment, I'm going to show you the hymn that does fit with the book of Jonah. 368, though. I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus who died upon the cruel tree to think of his great sacrifice at Calvary? I know my Lord expects the best from me. Is that Jonah's hymn? Is it ours? 372. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? Other lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? Jonah, where are you going? Let me show you the hymn, I think, that goes with the book of Jonah, 339. George Matheson was uh, a man who was studying for the ministry in Scotland before the American Civil War. He was 20 years old, partway through his training to be a preacher, He was engaged to be married. Everything was looking great when he got word that he was going blind and nothing could be done. He broke the news to his fiancée. She said, I can't do it. I can't be married to a blind man. I can't. And she left him. Twenty years later, George Matheson was 40 and his younger sister was getting married. The night before her wedding, with all of those thoughts coming back, remembering the pain of his fiancée leaving him, he wrote this. Oh, love, that will not let me go. There is a love that won't let us go. I think this is Jonah's hymn. It wasn't sung willingly, but it would be the theme song of the book of Jonah. Wherever he went, The love of God chased him down because he didn't have it. He hadn't received it. He didn't have it for the Ninevites, right? What did they need? They need Jonah. They needed the love of God. Jonah didn't have it to give. That's why he wouldn't go. 
Boy, what if we lack that? The greatest of these is love. These? What these? All these spiritual gifts. You're so talented. Wow, you've got such great training. But the greatest of these is love. You cannot skip that. Why didn't God ask somebody else to go? Did God not know that Jonah had an issue with the Ninevites? That he was a patriotic Jew? And that he was not going to go. I'll go in a murk of a tank. I'll go. But go cry against it so that they can get right and get forgiven? Not on your life. I will die first. And he literally asked to die. More than once in the book of Jonah. I will die first. Is God showing in any way these days that that one thing is missing? It's lacking. Maybe not in every area or whatever, but it's lacking. Why didn't God ask somebody else to go? Why didn't he chase Jonah down on a ship with a storm and a fish to bring him back? Why? Why didn't God just move to plan B? There's got to be more. Why didn't he choose a, a prophet from the southern part that wouldn't have issues? Let me tell you something. The revival that's needed is far greater than what happened in Nineveh. It's what needs to happen in Jonah's life. Jesus loves me. One. And what God can do when that happens, I want to explain to you in this message today. What God can do when you receive and know the love of God. You just sang it. Well, Jonah did a lot of singing too. But we know it was fake. It wasn't real. Love that will not let me go. It's the title of this message. God didn't want to send another prophet because his ministry was in Jonah's life. What needs to happen? You say, wow, Jonah's needy, or Nineveh's needy. We got to have it. God wants to do a work in Jonah's heart. The book of Jonah is about Jonah, not Nineveh. It's about Jonah, not a fish. It's about Jonah. All right, let's take a look at several things here. Look at, um, look at verse 5. Jonah goes down in the ship. This storm comes in verse 4. And we're going to move through things that you already know about. But I want, to, I want to see the climax of Jonah's problem. Then the mariners were afraid and, every, and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. And in my, my book, that is the climax. He's got this issue. He knows it. I'm not going. And I can sleep through a storm where I'm at in my life. I'm fine with it. I don't know about you, but if I'm troubled about something, I have a hard time sleeping. Jonah's not troubled. He's not just sleeping. He's sleeping in a storm. That's sleeping. The boat's going all kinds of things. 
And, and the guys who know how much trouble they're in, they're scared out of their minds. Jonah's not afraid. I am where I'm supposed to be in my mind, and I'm content with it. That's a really ugly thing for a Christian. That is ugly. You know what the first thing? Now we're going to show the several steps from this point right here where Jonah is asleep in his own sin until he has victory, personal victory. And we're going to go show several things. There's seven of them. Number one, he's got to wake up. And so do we. Somehow you've got to wake up. i got issues. And the Lord's showing it through this means and that means and that one over here. I don't know what it is. I've been blaming others, whatever. The problem is there's too, made too many, numerous problems the way that God could show this to us. But we've got to wake up and say, it's me. i got an issue. And at least his eyes are open. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Now, does that mean he's cured because he opened his eyes? No, but he's not going to get cured until he opens his eyes. And that goes for you and me. We better wake up to what God is trying to show us, to what lacks in our lives. We've got we to gotta open our eyes. Number two, we've got to get honest. We got to get honest with men because that's what happened next. Notice verse 8. Then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? And what is thy country? What people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord thy, uh, my God, the God of heaven, which hath, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. That's an amazing thing. That Jonah is this far from God and he's willing to be honest with them. We're not going to get right until we get honest. And that's not going to be easy. But he's honest. He's standing on the deck and he tells them, I've been disobedient. I'm running from God. It's my fault. It's all me. Okay. Story over? That'd be a really short book. It's not over. That's not all that needs to happen. That's just the second thing. Number three. <clears throat> he's got to die. Number three, he's got to die. Do you know after this, um, what, it, what was the cure? What did he say you need to do? They said, well, how do we solve this thing? And he said what? You've got to throw me off. Okay, now wait a minute. You go off into heavy seas, and what happens? Is there any hope? Like, does he know there's a fish down there? No. No, no. Heavy seas. Two weeks ago, SEAL Team 3, on an interdiction mission boarded an Iranian ship in heavy seas in the Arabian Sea. One man lost his grip and went into the water. One seal. According to their training, a second seal went after him. Two or three days ago, they were declared missing and dead, presumed dead. Two Navy SEALs in heavy seas. Can you tell me what hope a fundamental Baptist preacher has 
in heavy seas if two Navy SEALs can't do it. You, you get what I'm saying? You've got to understand the story. This isn't some cutesy flannel graph. Outside of the rail of that ship is certain death. And he said, throw me overboard. Do you know why he said that? You know why he said, he didn't say, take me back, turn the ship around, everything will be fine. You know why he didn't say that? Because I'm not going to Nineveh. He never said, take me back, turn it around. No, he said, throw me overboard. Kill me. You're going to have to murder me. That's what he said. Say, okay. Jonah, why don't you just go over and jump off the ship? Somebody tell me, why doesn't he jump? Because he, was, he thought it was a sin to commit suicide, so he wanted the other people to kill him. He can't even jump off. Now, I've got to point something out to you. Does he care anything about the Ninevites? Yes or no? Okay, but it's only the Ninevites that he has a problem with. Right? Next question. Does he care about these guys? Yes or no? Does he care about them? I'm so sorry I brought this on you. Turn the ship around. Everything will be fine. I'll pray to God right now. No. Do you know a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways? You know, you can blame so-and-so for whatever. The truth is, if you don't have the love of God for that situation and those people, then you don't have it for really anybody. You may not have issues with these guys on the ship, but you really don't love them. You still just love whom? Me. Well, praise God, Jesus loves even me. And he's not going to be settled and solved until he gets that. And you notice in this story that these men do everything they can to save Jonah's life. He's not doing the same for them. They try to row this thing backwards. And God's just like this. The same vehicle, the road that took you away from me is not going to bring you back to me until you get right. You need to die. In other words, game's over. God, you win. I've been wrong. Jonah's not there. But everywhere he went, people got right with God. Yes or no? These guys are vowing vows to God, and people wonder, okay, did they get saved? Well, I think so. I do. In the context of the book of Jonah, everywhere he went, <laughs> this reluctant Baptist preacher, and there's revivals breaking out. How does that happen? We'll talk about it more in a minute. He gets into the fish. He didn't know that was going to happen. Then Was that a joyful ride? Is that a good time? <clears throat> What's a stomach for? Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you know what a stomach is for? Do you know what three days in a stomach will do for you? Let me ask you this question. Can a man live three days, three nights in the belly of a fish? Yes or no? I love it when that happens. You know I love it when that happens. Let me ask you this. Can a man live three days, three nights in the earth, in a grave? A dead man. Because Jesus tied the two together. 
He said, just like that, that's what's going to happen to me. Can a man live three days, three nights in a stomach? No. You would have been digested by that time. It was a miracle. So it was a miracle that Jesus came out of the ground. It took a miracle. And so God miraculously preserved his life in that, that belly. I'm not saying he died in there and God resurrected. I'm saying that was a miracle. But in that belly of that fish, he prayed. Number four is he prayed. That's the first. And he prayed, honestly, he prayed. You read chapter two, he, he prayed good prayers. He prayed several verses of the book of Psalms out of the belly of the fish. Wow, he prayed. We say, I pray all the time. Let me ask you a question. Did Jonah pray like any other? Like, did he have his devotions? Or did he pray like he'd never prayed before? Young person, that's what it's going to take. You say, I prayed, I prayed, nothing to I prayed, oh, I've, I've talked to God. You haven't been in the belly of a fish yet. You need to pray like you have never prayed before. I don't think, I think Jacob had prayed, but I, don't, I think he prayed a little different when he had a hold of God on the shore of the, the river Jabek there. Let me go. You're not going anywhere. Tomorrow I'm going to die. Jonah's praying like he's never prayed before. Number five, Jonah goes to, we go to chapter three. The word of the Lord came again unto Jonah the second time. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went. He obeyed. Okay, that's good. You've got to start obeying. You've got to start obeying. That's number five. Now, is Jonah fixed? He's, uh, his eyes are open. He's admitting the problem. He's been honest with man. He's uh, died to the, to the fleeing away anyway. Game's up. Game's over. I'll go God's way on this. He's prayed like he's never prayed, and he's now obeying. Is Jonah fixed? No. Does he love the Ninevites? No. Five things down, all good things, and Jonah still has the same problem he had in chapter 1, verse 1. Well, I mean, the revival, we don't have to read it. It's unbelievable. This is probably the greatest revival in world history. In the shortest time, covering most people, some people would say five to 600,000 people and a reluctant preacher. Five words in Hebrew. Yet 40 days and then it shall be overthrown, but only five words in the Hebrew. And uh, very short invitations. Yes? It was Jonah saying, uh, let's play that again. The people are still moving. Was he playing it again? No, he's over here going, just do the chorus. No, we don't need it. Let's not play anything. Well, what do we need to do? I don't know. Don't worry about it. Is he really wanting them to get right? And after the thing just blows wide open, right to the very king himself, Jonah goes outside the city to hope, hope that judgment will still come. He waits there for the 40 days. Let's see what happens. And he is madder than a hornet's nest. 
God, you're going to forgive them, I suppose. It's unbelievable. I knew this was going to happen. This is exactly why I didn't want to come here, and this is what happened. We're on the fourth chapter of the book, and Jonah is still not any more right with God than he was in chapter 1, verse 1. He's been inside of a fish. He's been in a storm. He's prayed to God. He's done all this stuff. And he still, so it would seem, at the very first step. There's two more things that are needed. They're not my idea. They're right in the book. And we'll close it up. And it goes through this gourd thing. God prepares a gourd to help him out while he was waiting for their judgment. And uh, he was very appreciative of that till the worm came, ate the gourd, and now the gourd's dead. And he's really upset about the gourd. And it came to pass, verse 8, when the sun did arise, God, uh, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. Notice he's concerned about his gourd and his own head more than he's concerned about anybody in that city. He wants them to all go to hell. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. That he fainted, and he wished in himself to die again. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah the second time. Verse 4 was the first time. Doest thou well to be angry? Doest thou well to be angry, Jonah? And he said, I do well to be angry. Even unto death. I think he's yelling at God. I am done with this. Take my life. I do well to be angry. Now, what would you expect right now? How about a lightning bolt? We got a burnt spot in the sand outside of Nineveh. Yes or no? Wouldn't you expect it? You think a guy could yell at God and get away with it? He is sassing God. Do you understand that? Except for this, his song, Oh Love, that will not let me go. I cast my weary soul on thee. Verse 10, then said the Lord, then said the Lord, not yelled, the patience, Jesus loves even me. Thou hast had pity on the gourd for, that, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand, 120,000 persons, children, that cannot even discern from their right hand to their left hand, and also much cattle. I'm concerned even for the cattle of the city. God says, you're concerned about you. Question mark, end of Jonah. Number six, you've got to get honest with God. Jonah, who had been honest with men, now opens up his heart to God. And honestly, it's pretty ugly. Like it's really ugly. He should have died for what he said and the way he said it. But you know why he didn't die? Because God wants to hear from us. And whatever's in there, just talk to me about it. Because Jesus loves even me.
had to get honest with God. But you know, the book ends with a question mark, and, and we have a question. Like, okay, what's next? I don't know. Did Jonah ever get right? Did he ever love the Ninevites? Did he go back into the city and plant churches and disciple people? Is there some discipleship opportunities there? What happened? Here's what happened. Here's, here's what I think, because it's, it's over. Here's what happened. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Well, we, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say, well, so-and-so wrote. But the traditional understanding, and I believe it, is that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. Now, if that's true, which I believe it is, what did Jonah say about himself? How did he testify? Was it all good stuff? He told the story. How many people got saved in Nineveh? I don't know. If everybody got saved, maybe 600,000. Okay, sounds good. How many people have been impacted by the book of Jonah? How many? Give me a number. How many? When you become, not just trying to get right, trying to get right, you become an advocate against the things that you've done. When you become an advocate against, when you're prepared to do for the Lord, to train others not to do what you've done. You, you're train, you are training right now to train others. I'm talking about the lack in your life, the sin. You're willing to say, you know what, I had that problem too. Let me tell you my testimony. And do it in a way that's not very flattering. This is what it took. Jonah, you said that? Yeah, I said that. You sassed God? That's exactly what I did. Yeah, don't do what I did. Then Jonah is free. Are you willing to become an advocate? Not just trying to get back to square one, to zero, to a good Christian life. To actually be a proclaimer against what you had been involved in. Now, you could walk up to Jonah. Lord, send me anywhere? Absolutely. Let's bow our heads.